Good morning. This morning, Ross is going to speak to us from the book of Luke, chapter 8, verses uh, 26 through 39. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on land, there uh, met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he'd worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. Jesus then answered him, What's your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home, and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. And this is the word of the Lord. And welcome uh, to Ross. Thank you. And thank you for that scripture reading. And good morning, Sutherland Church. If I stand here, can you see me at the top there? Good, I don't want to lose my friends in the balcony. I am so pleased to be back with you. I was thinking about the last time I was here, and Todd was uh, also with us that Sunday. I preached on Gideon from the Old Testament, uh, and I met with uh, Todd uh, early on when he was thinking about a sabbatical. We had coffee in uh, a shop here in North Van and uh, talking about the richness both for a pastor and for a congregation uh, in a time of sabbatical. So bless you for giving Todd some time uh, to rest and to study, and uh, I'm excited to see uh, how he comes back and the ideas that uh, God has given him on this time of sabbatical. Uh, as I was introduced, I, I teach over at UBC now. I think of myself as a, a pastor seconded uh, to the seminary for this season of my life. Uh, and uh, I actually uh, teach at St. Andrew's Hall, which is the Presbyterian College uh, at UBC. And uh, you can always tell um, an evangelical Presbyterian like myself. Do you know how you can tell an evangelical Presbyterian? When we praise God, we take our hands out of our pockets. That's about as excited as we get. 
so it's good to be at Sutherland. I know I can let loose a little bit more here. And uh, so I, I'm at St. Andrew's Hall. I teach at the Vancouver School of Theology. I'm so pleased that you had my buddy Jason here last week. He is such a gift to us. And I also teach uh, over at Regent College as well. So I kind of get around campus teaching uh, wherever they'll take me. I primarily teach uh, mission and evangelism. And as I was thinking about today, the scripture uh, kept coming back to me. I I wanted to dig a little bit deeper. So thank you for the honor uh, of spending some time with you this morning, digging into God's word. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this totally unused Sabbath that lies ahead. What a joy it is to be in your house uh, with fellow Christians, with those trying to figure out what they believe, all are welcome here because before the word of God, we recognize ourselves, each and every one, as sinners in need of your redemption and your grace and your mercy. God, as we spend time now looking at the gospel uh, according to Luke, uh, we ask that your Holy Spirit would fall fresh upon us, that as I preach, you would have your way, that you would speak uh, directly to the assembly gathered here, uh, that we would be blessed, encouraged, challenged, Uh, ready to be sent forth to be your missionary disciples here in North Vancouver. Uh, We pray all this in your awesome name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. So I was at uh, home. I came home a little bit early from the college this week, and I uh, was sitting on the couch Uh, downstairs uh, with my beautiful three-and-a-half-year-old daughter. Uh, She was watching some cartoon on Netflix, and I was just starting to work my way through uh, this passage from Luke 8. And and I just, I I was kind of um, taken in the moment to play a little game with her. And those of you who have children or grandchildren or nieces and nephews uh, no doubt have played the um, Uh, the game uh, This Little Piggy, right? So this little piggy went to market, you wiggle a toe, and this little piggy stayed home. This little piggy had roast beef, and what? Thank you, church, that's very well done. Uh, And then finally, I won't make you do it, but this little piggy cried, wee, 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 all the way home, right? And my little three-and-a-half-year-old, sweet as pie, giggled and smiled, uh, and then I kept reading Luke 8, and I kept looking at this, and I thought, wow, like, I, there's pigs in this passage. Uh, and I don't know, maybe it was just the mood I was in. I thought, I, I, I can work with this. So I, I leaned over again, and I wiggled a toe, and I said, uh, this little piggy went to Capernaum. Um, <laughs> this little piggy stayed home. Uh, this little piggy had a demon, and this little piggy had none. Uh, and this little piggy went, wee, 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 into the Sea of Galilee and drowned. And my three-and-a-half-year-old daughter frowned. <laughs> Dad's embarrassing kids, some things never change. Well, what, what a passage we have to work with here from uh, Luke 8. And whenever I preach a passage, I, I always uh, begin and look at w- what's surrounding it. Like where we don't just kind of parachute into this piece of Luke's gospel. What else is going on here uh, in this uh, fascinating passage about Jesus Uh, encountering this demon-possessed man. If you look at the beginning of Luke 8, what's interesting is it starts uh, talking about others who were cured of their demons. Talks and names specifically a group of women who were cured of their demons and then decided to follow Jesus and in fact supported him and his disciples. Uh, And and then it goes on from there. Uh, We have Jesus teaching the famous parable of the sower. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, we can all imagine that great passage. It's a powerful uh, parable. And then something strange happens that doesn't often happen after a parable, right? Because a, a parable is meant to be kind of mysterious, right? Uh, it is kind of this mystery that's cloaked or wrapped in everyday language. E.H. Uh, e. Uh, Dodd, who is a big parable scholar, said that Jesus uses these parables with everyday imagery so that it can tease our imagination, right? So we get a sense of, hmm, what's really going on there? Well, apparently Jesus' disciples, who are never really known as like A-class disciples, they're always kind of fumbling around, they didn't get the parable of the sower, which to me is kind of an obvious one, right? So they say to Jesus, so, so what did you mean by that? And I just kind of, I picture Jesus just kind of sighing, right? And thinking, man, here we go again. Okay, this one I'll explain to you boys, right? And he kind of breaks it down for them. And they nod along whether or not they're getting it. And then Jesus says, in the same chapter we're in, uh, let's get in the boat and let's go to the other side. Right? Most of Jesus' ministry takes place on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, places like Capernaum, right? But this time they get in the boat and they're going to the other side. And this is where if um, you're an adult convert to Christianity, praise God for the way he's gotten a hold of you, this story may not capture your imagination in the same way that those of us who grew up in Sunday school heard this for the first time, right? Uh, how many of us can picture as kids the, the story of Jesus calming the storm, right? I mean, it's just kind of built, it's built in there. So we have Jesus now directing folks to go to the other side, and he falls asleep. Do you remember that story? I love that story. And when he is sleeping, a storm blows up, and the disciples, they panic. They, they say, Jesus, we're perishing, we're dying here. They, they shake him awake looking for Jesus to do something. And he stands and he commands the storms to be still. And the best the disciples can do, the Bible says, is they look at each other and they say, who is this guy that even the wind and the waves obey him? At least they didn't try at that point to be like him. There's a famous story told of uh, Queen Victoria, just a year before she died, it was the year 1900, and she was crossing on the Irish Sea between uh, Ireland and between England. And at that point, if you can picture those old maps that used to hang in schoolhouses, uh, colored red, a full quarter of the earth was ruled by this woman, right? The British Empire at its height. And it must have gotten to her head a little bit because she's crossing between Ireland and England and the royal yacht is being tossed in the waves. And the captain looks out, and here is the monarch, this uh, elderly lady going out with her cane to the front of the ship, Titanic style. And she put her hands up and commanded the waves to be still. True story. Barbara Tuckman, who tells this in her great story, uh, The Proud Tower, it's the run-up to the First World War, begins this way to mark the end of the Victorian era. She describes this scene. She put her hands up to command that the winds and the waves would be still. And Tuckman writes, and the storm raged on. Only Jesus in the boat can command the storms to be still. And the disciples still don't get it. And then they reach the other side. 
where Anne picked up the story for us. Now, when you visit Israel today, and I've got to get uh, Todd. I think Todd's been over to Israel. I lead pilgrimage tours often there. I love going to Israel. I find you read the Bible differently when you've been able to, to pray and to read these stories and to visit these places. You don't read the Bible better. That would be arrogant and rude. But you read it differently once you've been in those spaces. Today, when you go around the, the Sea of Galilee, it's within the state of Israel, and you get the impression like, oh, I guess in Jesus' day, there were faithful Jews living all around the Sea of Galilee. But it's not true. In Jesus' day, the west side of the Sea of Galilee was where good Torah-reading, law-abiding Jews would live. And so if you picture the Sea of Galilee, maybe you have a picture uh, in your Bible at some point, you can have a look. That northwest corner uh, is where Capernaum was and where Jesus had a lot of his ministry. On the eastern side, where we are in the reading today, it was like a transition zone. It was not a place that Jews would go often. What's the clue in this story that we know? There's pigs there, right? And pigs were unclean animals. It's a transition zone on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee between good Torah-reading, law-abiding Jews and what was known as the Decapolis, the cities of the Decapolis, 10 Greek cities founded in the 3rd century BC by Alexander the Great's armies. Pagan cities. A good Jew would not be caught in that kind of place very often unless you were a merchant doing trading and so forth, right? And so this is where Jesus goes. And the first hearers of this story would say, why is a good rabbi going to that side of the city? Only bad things can come from that side of the lake. There are some who imagine when Jesus is telling the famous uh, parable of the prodigal son, and the prodigal sizes up his father and says, Dad, you're healthy as a horse. I can't wait for you to die for the to begin. So cough up my inheritance and I'll be on my way. I can't wait to get off this farm, right? And he goes where? The far country. There are many who would say that often people would think of the far country in that parable as one of the cities of the Decapolis. It was like the ancient world's Las Vegas in Palestine. And just between us, what happens in the far country stays in the far country. Well, that's the side that we find Jesus on. Why is a good rabbi taking his disciples here? And then it's just delicious because like going to uh, Vegas and having your wallet uh, robbed from you in the airport, maybe it's a sign. What happens? The first thing happens when Jesus steps off the boat, his sandals have just hit the sand. They're still wet with the waves lapping up. Who is the first person to greet Jesus on the other side? A demon-possessed man. You can just hear people listening to this story in Luke's uh, church in his early Christian community saying, serves Jesus right. He should not have been on that side of the lake. But just like God's word tends to do over and over again, there's this twist. It, it knocks us off our certain place because we see this wild-looking man coming towards Jesus. And in all the, the depictions, here's one here. Uh, what's the matter with this picture? The pigs are cute, aren't they? They're kind of cute. 
But what's the matter with the man? He's clothed. It's very rare that you will find an art depiction of this part of God's Word that's actually truthful. The man is homeless, he's wild-looking, and he's naked. Maybe we don't depict that because it might make good church folks blush a little bit. Would at least in a Presbyterian church. Uh, but he's naked. And this guy looks all right to me. I mean, he, he, he's got kind of a fancy getup, but he looks all right to me. When you have to picture like wild and crazy, more like the way I kind of picture John the Baptist, right? Uh, you know, with, with his uh, locusts and wild honey uh, sandwich, right? And, and that camel hair coat, that I, I often think John the Baptist, if you met him after a rainstorm, he must have just smelled awful, right? You know, that camel hair coat. Uh, uh, it was Fred Craddock, the great preacher, that said of John the Baptist that he dressed like yesterday, but preached like tomorrow. Amen? Isn't that a great description? Think wild, kind of crazy, the kind of person you might cross the street to avoid. Not this guy, but someone who looks intimidating, in fact, the Bible doesn't say it, so I'm just kind of reading into this. But I'm thinking Jesus steps out of the boat, and the disciples at first, they stay in the boat, right? These are the folks that thought they were going to die the night before with this storm. They're still a little messed up by that. And now this is where Jesus brings them, and this is the first person they meet. This naked, homeless, wild man full of demons. But look at what happens just when we're about to write off this character, he kneels before Jesus. And he says, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? You know, as someone who grades papers of future pastors, I'd have to give that statement of faith pretty high marks. We have to wait for Jesus to take the boys up to the Lebanese border, right? To Caesarea Philippi before the, the mountain of the transfiguration in that pagan temple of Pan for us to hear such a good confession of faith. Who do people say that I am? And you get kind of the, the Census Canada report and then Jesus flips it. Who do you say that I am? And it takes bumbling Simon Peter to say you are the Messiah, the son of the living God which is always so ironic that the confession is made in a temple of small uh, G dead gods, son of the living God. This demonic-filled man, naked and wild crazy, kneels before Jesus and knows that he is Jesus' son of the most high God. The demons know it. And what happens next? as Jesus is pulling the demons out of this man, he asks his name. This wild, crazy-looking man declares himself to be legion. Legion. He might as well have called himself battalion or regiment or more properly battle group. The Roman Empire took 6,000 soldiers to form a legion. Does that mean he had 6,000 demons? I'll leave that up to you to decide. Does it mean he felt like he was filled with lots of demons? For sure. Now, in our culture, we might describe this man a little bit differently, at least in the broader secular culture, right? 
in the, the Gerasene Gazette newspaper, he was described as a demon-possessed man in his day. In the Vancouver Sun today, what might we say? A schizophrenic off his meds, right? It doesn't matter how you describe the situation. This is a man out of control. And it's funny in the church how often we're reluctant to talk about our demons, of which there are many in and around us that continue to haunt us for as long as the enemy has a toehold in this world. As we proclaim the truth of the story from God's creation and covenant, Christ, church, and one day by grace consummation. Until that day, there is still the toehold, and there are demons around us. There are demons in this man. It'd be interesting if we could name the demons that are present here today. But God's word gives us such courage and such hope that there is one, the one who can command the storms of life to be still is the same one who has the authority and the power over any demonic force in this world. And he commands the demons to come out of legion. How do you imagine that scene playing out? I imagine Jesus pulling the demons out of him and the man collapsing on the seashore. This man that was cut off from society, living in a graveyard, naked, seen as crazy by everyone else, falls exhausted, whole and human for the first time since he can remember. And then there's this bizarre exchange that I did so much reading this week, and I'm still curious about. I, I don't have a good grasp of this bizarre conversation between Jesus and the demons. Did you catch that when Anne was reading? Basically, the demons say, uh, okay, Jesus, we know who you are. You know who we are. You've called us out. Don't throw us into the abyss. And Jesus looks around and sees some pigs on the hillside, and he sends the demons into the pigs instead. There they are up there. Now, they look like they're just having a wee sip of water by the Sea of Galilee, but the Bible says that they're more like lemmings. As soon as they are possessed by these demons, they go screaming down the hillside and into the Sea of Galilee, which is just upsetting if you're a vegetarian or like me, a bacon lover. What a terrible waste of some good bacon. Amen? And so they go screaming down. The only thing that I've kind of come across and as I've been reading this over and over again and praying about it is what happens as a result of the pigs going into the Sea of Galilee. Think with me for a minute. If Jesus had not done that, if he had simply dispatched the demons by his sovereign power, then who would know, right? I mean, it's like the old joke of the pastor who goes golfing on the Sunday morning, gets the hole in one, right? And the angel says to, to God, uh, how can you let him do that? And God says, well, who's he going to tell, right? Because he calls in sick to the church, that kind of thing. I mean, who's going to tell the story of this healing un unless there are others alerted? And what does the Bible say? The minute that the pigs take off and jump into the Sea of Galilee, the folks whose job it is to kind of watch over the pigs, they're alerted. And what do they do? They run to the city. And they tell others. And then this big crowd comes out. And they are amazed that maybe now 
this is more of a faithful depiction of the story. Maybe I was too hard on the artist. Maybe this is the wild man now tamed, or as the Bible says so beautifully, clothed and in his right mind. But just when you think you've got God's word all locked down, he twists his word again and says, surprise. Because what's the reaction of the people from the city? They're amazed, but they're also afraid. Isn't that strange? Why would they be afraid? Here's this man that they've all known. Don't go out into the graveyard without some security backup because there's a crazy man living out there, right? He's in major, major trouble. And they say, this is the guy. And he's clothed and he's in his right mind. They have a sense of the power that Jesus has. And so they ask him, can you please go back to the other side of the lake? You're freaking us out. Your power is too much for us here in this Hellenistic city, one of the Decapolis cities. We need you to leave. And what's so interesting is Jesus does just that. He leaves. People being surprised by the power of Jesus at work. Some things never change. Except for the formerly demon-possessed man. What does he do? He says to Jesus, Lord, can I go with you? Which is so fascinating because Luke starts this chapter by specifically naming women cured of demons who now are following Jesus. In fact, he goes so far as to credit them with with, uh, blessing Jesus and his disciples with provisions and so forth. But now... Jesus says, no, 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 don't get into the boat. You need to go home and tell others about what God has done in your life. He is commissioning this man to be a missionary to his own people. God's healing now is leading to an opportunity for testimony and for witness in a way that Jesus, because he's turning back, chose not to do himself. You know, as someone who teaches uh, mission and evangelism over the years, I- I've often thought that, that the preaching moment uh, is such a central part of when we gather to worship God, although your music ministry here is amazing. But more and more, as I teach mission and evangelism, I recognize that actually the highlight of the service for me, for as much as I love God's Word and, and wrestling with it every week and preaching in different local churches, it's actually the, the benediction or the blessing. That's actually the part that, that I get most excited about. Because I look around this church and I, and I think to myself, wow, look at all of you. Where are you going to go this week? Where, where is God going to lead you this week? in relationships, in conversations, in opportunities for witness, in the workplace, at home, on the soccer pitch, on TransLink, wherever? Where is God going to place you, not me as the preacher, where is God going to place you, like this man healed with a story to tell? Kind of a a 1 Peter 3.15-like moment, right? That you need to be ready with your witness, with your testimony, with your accounting of God's grace when it's called for, but to do so with gentleness and respect. Amen? There's a sense in which this is the opportunity, just like this gentleman here, to go out and to testify to what God has done in your life. 
Yes, demons haunt each and every one of us. But God heals us of all that brokenness through the sin of the world, through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, and sends us out as missionary disciples. Years ago, I, I saw a beautiful example of this. I was uh, pastoring a great church in eastern Ontario, and it's in a city called Belleville. Not everyone's heard of it. Nice little city. And we were in the, uh, the west end of Belleville. It's kind of a tale of two cities. There's the affluent east end and the, the poor blue-collar uh, west end. And our church uh, was in uh, the poorest postal code in the county. And so we tried to engage, as you guys are so good here at Sutherland, engaging uh, the community with, uh, I love the program that you have for the high school students here. That's such an amazing witness uh, in the uh, Theology on Tap uh, a group that you do as well that have been out to you do a great job of engaging the neighborhood and we are trying to do that as well at this church given the the poverty so we had the the children's breakfast program uh, because kids were coming from really broken homes with uh, empty tummies so our church took that on every day and we got news of a of a halfway house uh, that was opening up and uh, there wasn't there wasn't a backlash against it it was the kind of neighborhood where uh, you know, wealthy people were glad the Hathaway house was going in there and not in their own neighborhood, right beside our church. And so an elder on session uh, said, uh, have you been down? The Hathaway house has been open a week, Pastor. Have you been down to visit? And it was kind of one of those shaming pastor moments. I'm like, well, I had, I had meetings I had to go to. Uh, yeah, I did important things. Uh, and he said, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go down today and, and introduce myself and invite people to church. Uh, I thought, all right, good times. And uh, so he went down and uh, met the folks who were running the halfway house and uh, started a great connection there, providing items as guys were released from prison uh, and treatment centers, what they would actually need as far as their basic requirements. Uh, and it was, it was nice because it was safe. Like we were Christians doing something nice for these guys in need. Uh, and then one Sunday, one of the halfway house residents uh, took my elder up on his offer and decided to come to church. I remember preaching at the front of the church and the back wooden doors open. It was a big old 19th century church, so the, the doors open at the back, and uh, this guy looking maybe a little bit like our character from Luke 8 today, before he was healed, uh, came in, big bushy beard, kind of wild eyes and wild hair, uh, and he came in kind of stumbling down the center aisle. And as a pastor, you do a certain number of things in a scenario like that. You, you look for elders of the church to think, okay, hopefully there's going to be someone that can kind of intercept and be a kindly Christian presence. My one elder who had built the relationship with the halfway house, it was the one Sunday he wasn't there. I'm like, great, okay. And so he comes wandering down and sits in a pew with one older lady in the church, the kind of lady that would still wear gloves to church, uh, and sometimes a hat on Easter. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and I thought, Lord, this is going to go one of two ways. Uh, and so he sits down. His name was Doug. And uh, I watched this uh, older lady get up uh, and move over and uh, sit down beside him and put her arm around him and, and open up the bulletin and point to where we were. And uh, after worship, invites this guy to coffee, and I just thought, wow, man, God is, God is good. Uh, and I thought, we got through that Sunday. Well, sure enough, next Sunday, uh, Doug shows up again. And the Sunday after that and after that, and I start to hear the story of his demons 
and the ways in which he was working through those demons and how the church in the months that followed came alongside him and uh, uh, it was amazing to see what God did in his life. And one uh, week he walked in and said uh, two things, Pastor. He said, I want to be baptized this Sunday uh, and the men's breakfast later this month. Uh, I, I want to cook for the men. Uh, I want to say thank you to the guys of the church. I thought, okay, well, number one, praise God, that's easy. Number two, I don't know how that's going to go. Uh, and so he was baptized. It was a great celebration. And later that month, I showed up at church. And uh, it was Saturday morning, and I walked in. I could smell bacon and eggs going in the kitchen uh, and laughter taking place. And Doug had gone down. We don't have it in British Columbia, but it's called uh, Giant Tagger. It's kind of like the lowest. It's like dollar store, basically. Uh, GT Boutique is how we'd call it in Ontario. Uh, And uh, Doug had gone with his meager allowance to GT Boutique and had bought all the food there. That gives you some idea. I thought, oh man. Uh, And so all the guys are in the kitchen working away trying to help him. And uh, he is just beaming with joy that this man, once full of so many demons, had found a Christian community uh, that embraced him so beautifully. And we sit down and we all say grace and Doug comes out with the food and, and puts us in front of us. Uh, and all the guys are just so happy and chatting away. I don't know, I must have been in a bad mood that day because I looked at the plate and it just looked terrible. Like, uh, like the worst bacon. It was like all fat and it was just the, the toast was burnt and it was just like, ugh. And so I take a bite and, and it was as bad as I suspected, Right. Uh, and, and then I look in the kitchen, uh, and I see Doug laughing, and all the guys of the church laughing, and I see them with their, their arm around this guy, and um, decide to take another bite. And, and this time, uh, it wasn't quite as bad. It was actually, like, decent. And uh, we continued our breakfast, and I, and I took another bite after that, and another bite after that. I started to think, wow, this is actually, this is really good. This might be the best breakfast I've ever had. And then I thought, I tasted this taste I've tasted before. And as all the guys gathered, and we sang a hymn, and we had uh, a prayer time as well, and I kept eating my breakfast, I thought, I... I know what this tastes like. I've had this meal before. It tasted like bread and wine. In that time and in that place, I was reminded that God is at work in Jesus Christ, redeeming humanity one person at a time, saying to hell with these demons you belong to me thank god some things never change let's pray father you are so good to us we're sorry that our lives can get so out of control We're sorry for all the ways that we've messed things up. And yet we know by the truth of your word, which is the cradle of the living word, Jesus Christ himself, that there is no place we can go, there is no limit 
to your grace. If there are demons present within us or around us that have been chasing us, we command them in the mighty name of Jesus to depart. For no matter what we have done, no matter what we fear, no matter what others say, we belong to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand together for one more song.